Instagram, and we're live on YouTube with uh, our guest today that, alhamdulillah, had the, uh, was willing to come on with us, Sheikh Faraz Rabbani, as you all know, somebody who is a veteran in the field of dawah and somebody who doesn't need much introduction, but just in case there are some of the youth and some of the uh, McDonald Duby Bussin types of uh, shabab, you may not know that way back in the very early 2001, 2002, 2003, the number one online operation was Sunni Path. And that was operated by Sheikh Faraz Rabbani out of uh, the country of Jordan, where he was studying fiqh. And, they, and that website, not only did it have classes, it also, it also had an amazing Q&A site, which I think, like Ryan, you're always sending that to the convert chat, Right. Like uh, questions from from that is are always being sent out, yeah, yeah. and so that was one of the really it it was a bridge uh, for a lot of people to start for the first time studying their texts and studying these masail um, related to the four methods and really learning their deen uh, through that website. So that was a massive website. Then it transformed into Seekers Guidance, which branched off to be called Seekers Hub. But essentially, it's the same concept. And Seekers Guidance now is the website that hosts... Actually, uh, Sunni Path were like live courses. Seekers Guidance has a lot of live and pre-recorded courses, which I don't think anybody who was around from 9-11 until even today, who doesn't know what Seekers Guidance is, except maybe some of the Shabab youth, uh, they don't know about it. So you should check it out, and you could take those classes and those full courses. Now, having said that, uh, let us now. Okay, go ahead. Tafadal. Salam rahmatullah. No way. So New Jersey has the fadl. Yeah. It has a clandestine operation. Yeah. I was just answering friends and family's questions and so on. Yeah. The person I didn't know from, from New Jersey became a lifelong friend since then. He started putting them on this website. You're kidding. I didn't and know that's how it started. After putting them on, yeah. he asked permission. Yeah. Um, and then he told one of my teachers that can we start online courses? Yes. I said, so my teacher told me, you got to do this. So, yeah. But it was run for the first several years out of New Jersey. And then, you know, the co-founder, uh, Imran Chaudhary, he moved to Jordan. So we had... Oh, that's how it there. worked. Yeah. Mm. But sort of the... We were registered out of New Jersey too. So there's that... That connection. No way. So New Jersey has the fuddle or the virtue of being involved. New Jersey's been involved from the get-go. Yeah. The second or 100%. third dean, is, dean intensive was held right in our masjid, basically, in Masjid al-Huda. No, I remember that. Did you attend that one? I didn't. I wasn't able to, but a lot of my yeah. friends did. So. And, of course, that masjid is now, um, we don't use that building anymore. We use a much bigger building. But that was that was the that was uh, one of the, the early days in... Uh, 1995 and 96 and 97, uh, when the Shiuch came up, Sheikh Mohammed Al-Yaqubi came up, Sheikh Abdul Al-Qadi came up, a lot of Shiuch were coming, and it was a place that, that's even where I heard of all this stuff. Like, I've never heard. Sheikh Nuh, when 1994, when Reliance of the Traveler came out, one of his first stops to give a speech on it, to give a talk on it, was, and I was, I was there at the age, I was like 13 years old. The message was packed. It's a little small message, but it was packed. You couldn't even get a seat. And he gave the talk on why you have to follow your madhab. Why do you have to follow madhab if you have the Quran and Sunnah? For the entire time, to be honest with you, 
I didn't know what he was saying. I thought he was saying, why do you have to listen to your mother if you have the Quran and the Sunnah? That's literally what I thought he said. And they said to me, oh, what did you think of the talk? I said, it, I didn't think it was really necessary because everyone knows you have to follow your mom. The whole talk went right over my head. I was 13 years old and Sheikh Nuh already, at his vocabulary, his, the way he speaks is very deep. He doesn't cater to what we cater for here in the Nothing But Facts live stream. Uh, the, 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 the common you know, folk and the common person. So uh, now with that, let's take a, a, a preface first and say that and talk about, I want to ask, I'm curious, like how did you start off? How did you start learning? What years were, what were the influences? <coughs> can, can we do this? Side um, side? I started learning formally mm -hmm. um, when I was at university because at the end, university was a big, uh, a big shock for me in that I grew up in Spain. Really? Yeah. Oh, your your people just lost. I mean, it's good a Muslim team beat them, but I, I said uh, it earlier. I said Morocco's best feature is their defense. Just look at their statistics. Their best strategy is to go for a zero-zero game and then take their chances of PKs. And that's what happened. Yeah. So I grew up in in Spain, and then we moved back to Canada just before. Just before university, the high school was a was a big shock because in Spain where I was at a private British school, etc., and then moving to in the middle of winter, Canadian winter, mm -hmm. the high school seemed very strange. But that raised a lot of identity questions: of who exactly am I, etc. Mm. And going to university was a was a bigger shock in that yeah. sense. So especially because our high school is the worst possible high school. It shut down the year after I graduated. We had five wow. people. Who graduated oh from the high school. Wow. So, so five I, people? Yeah. This is a public school? Yeah. Five people who graduated and, and, and went to any college. There was yeah. only one other student who was at the University of Toronto from my high school. Wow. And so that you must have had uh, special uh, attention then from your teachers, only five students. Not really, because there's a, there's a complicated setup. But anyway, wow. so, so that uh. got me thinking and con you know connected that really the primary identity was me being a believer, be, being a Muslim. So I wanted to study. And immediately, end of first year, I wanted to go overseas and study. But one of, yeah. the, one of the things was, every scholar I would talk to would say, no, if you begin something, finish it. Mm. Then go talk to somebody else. So Sheikh Abdullah Idris, Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick, Sheikh Muhammad Zahid Abu Ghudda, different teachers, everyone I'd run into, you know, people I'd, sort of respect and trust, they'd all say, finish what you start. Mm. So I finished university. During university, studied with a number of teachers there, including Sheikh Talal Ahdab, who's now at Zaytuna, um, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the graduate studies program at Zaytuna College, and you know, other teachers. So after finishing university, I went to, to Damascus mm. uh, study, but had, had done a number of years during university. Um, so alhamdulillah. That, Did you go to Jami Abi Noor? Ma'ad al-Fatih? I studied mainly with the Mashaykh of Ma'ad al-Fatih, but, but privately. Okay. I already had the Arabic down. Like, actually, before Spain, we were in a whole bunch of places, but amongst them, I was in Cairo for six years. Wow. We upside. I already knew Arabic. And then at university, had done several years of Arabic, both at university and also with various shuyukh, had done the grammar books, etc., before going overseas. So you'd spent six years in Cairo? 
but when I was small. Oh, when you were young. Okay. So, subhanAllah, you have what? What's what got this international background? Is like, is your no, your my dad father a businessman? Was in international finance. Wow. So he was in the banks. Yeah, with different financial institutions and governance bodies and this and that. That's so usually the explanation. Either a diplomat or he's in banking. Because my friend, he grew up between uh, three different countries and the like weird countries, like uh, Liberia, Brooklyn, Alexandria, right? So the explanation is usually diplomacy or, um, or finance. Politics or money. So Yeah, politics and money. So you actually speak Spanish and you speak, you grew up, speak, must have grown, learned Arabic in Egypt, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then we you're... Speak Urdu at home. Uh, Urdu, Spanish, yeah. and Arabic. That's an amazing background. So you, it must have been easier for you to do, uh, uh, to, to learn Arabic. Yeah, so... Like, because yeah, started my my studies in in, in Egypt, yeah. was, you know, fluent in Arabic, and then studied it formally during university as well. Like mm -hmm. both you know, for university courses, but also studying Nahu and Sarf and so on with with, with the Mashayikh and studied a number of the books before going to Damascus. But that helped a lot. Like a yeah. lot of people when they want to go and study and they get this impulse, mm -hmm. um, not rushing into it. Uh, has a lot of benefits. Yeah. You, you know, you start where you are and then also realize exactly why you want to study. Yeah. And even then it was possible. It wasn't widespread, but now I think most large communities have opportunities of studying right there in your community. It may not be as fancy as, you know, yeah. um, as going here or there. So, alhamdulillah. So now you're, you're, you have a spot uh, in, in the middle of... Um, a, a suburb of Toronto, yes. and and this spot is we. Do, do you receive? Do you pray the five prayers there so you get strangers walking in, or is it just the classes? No, so we, we use it just as a learning center. Okay. So we use it as a learning center. We have weekly classes, both general and for students of knowledge, and we have monthly programming. Mashallah, that's great. So you have so so you do you deal with young people now? Or is it mainly people extent, who are ready to study? To, to some extent. Yeah. Right? Um, Toronto is a large community. Yeah. So there are many different organizations. We have a collaborative approach in the mm. sense that a number of the organizations have youth programming, etc. Even one of our, uh, you know, one of our younger teachers here, Ustad uh, Diri, you know, he has youth programming. So we have a, you know, a small amount of youth programming as part of our weekly, uh, you know, weekly program. But... Sort of, we don't try to do everything. Yeah. So we don't have a hips program, for example, because there's a number of very good hips programs. So even regulars here, we encourage nice. them go there for your memorization, and this is what what we offer. So we focus primarily on on Islamic studies and addressing critical issues through our seminars and wellness programs and so on. Very nice. Very nice. Now, speaking of wellness, and speaking of these kinds of programs. Uh, the topic that we want to bring up today is one of the most important topics, probably I would say, for belief in general. And it's been something that, uh, without you know, uh, picking a fight, but I don't think that the Christian theologians have done much to answer this question. But the Muslim theologians, not only have they answered the question, they've actually transformed it into an immense blessing and a spiritual 
you know, uh, uh, a subject that revives your spirituality in such a way that is unbelievable. And that subject is evil, bad things. Why do bad, if God is so merciful, why are all these bad things, why do they happen to people? Uh, why is it that people cannot reconcile the idea that God is, uh, uh, that, that the creator has mercy, yet they can't understand the concept that bad things happen to them? That's what we're going to explore today. And we have uh, Othman, who, who has compiled in detail some of these questions. Why don't you start off with men, and then Sheikh Faraz will take the first question, and we'll discuss it. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum um, So I guess um, what I would prefer is a more free-flowing discussion. Okay, we can do and that. So kick it off. Yeah, itself. I'll just kick it off, inshallah, and if we have to come back to course, um, I'll kind of just guide the discussion. But I'd just like to hear your thoughts, uh, Sheikh Faraz. Um, so I guess the first... Um, the first question that we have would be, what is the definition of good and evil in Islam? Uh, do we have a conception? For example, we know, for example, that you could have something that's haram and something that's halal. Now, is something that is halal or something that is mandub or fard, would we consider that to be the essence of good itself and something that's haram? Is that considered something that is evil? Um, or are these two, you know, like the, the fiqh definition? And this other definition of good and evil, are they separate from each other? So, if we can s just step back just a little bit from that, um, very often things only make sense if you understand why they are the way they are. If you, if you come to a building and you, you're trying to enter from all over, say, what's up with this structure? I can't, go, I can't get in. But right. you understand that, well, a building needs walls, but there's a door. If you want to get in, just go to the door and there's a way to get in. Right. right? But then you get to the door and it's not opening. So, well, there's a buzzer. So you kind of need a little bit of instructions that, you know, to, to, to get into the building. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not being unfair, but a building without walls wouldn't exist. Right? Like, how can you have a building that's just completely open? There has to be something holding it up. So similarly, um, to understand many of these things, one of the challenges with Islam for us as Muslims, is that there are rules and teachings related to everything. But things don't, don't make sense un, un, unless you understand why they are the way they are. So a lot of people pray, but they don't really consider, why am I praying? Similarly, say, okay, this is what I believe, but why do I believe what I believe in? So I think the first thing to appreciate regarding rules, right, because... Growing up, I was really lazy. Like, I, I wouldn't do anything unless I knew why. You'd have right. to convince me. Get me a glass of water. Why do you need water? Right? Um, and it's actually a good thing to ask. And we shouldn't hesitate to ask. Very often, depending on, you know, our upbringing, very often we're told not to ask too many questions. Or we fear that if we ask, it's somehow not right. But the first thing to appreciate is that who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right? and why there are rules. And one of the simplest ways, if you look at the, you know, what we open all our actions with, we say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. By the name of Allah, the all-merciful and the, and the particularly merciful. Right? 
So if you consider that who is Allah Himself, right? He is the the All Merciful. Right? So everything and the idea of His being Rahman, His mercy encompasses everything, and that includes both what He creates. There's mercy, and what He legit, what the rules of Islam are. There's mercy in them. But the difference between Allah being Ar-Rahman, who's the encompassingly merciful, and Ar-Rahim, the particularly merciful, one of the ways that that's explained is that the particularly merciful relates to the believer. To the believer. That whatever happens to you, or whatever the, whatever the ruling is, the mercy is found if you respond to it as a believer. So... Allah being Ar-Rahman, the encompassingly merciful, everything, even creating is mercy. Creating is mercy, because if you didn't exist, I mean, there's nothing possibly worse than not existing. But once you exist as a believer, you can attain Allah's mercy by responding as a believer to any particular situation, whether it's what happens to you or a particular ruling that appears to be difficult or disadvantageous. I did something wrong, now I have to go I Let's say if I slandered somebody, I have to go apologize and clarify to people that I shouldn't have done that. That seems, why do I have to do all of that? But where's the mercy in it? The mercy in it is you, if you realize, how exactly do I respond to it? Um, so that's where, how we view, view the rulings, even the most difficult of ruling. Right. So a question um, that you brought up was existence itself being a mercy. Um, uh, and a lot of people, um, I think that this is a modern problem, but a lot of people who face depression, they don't see it that way. Um, and I'm also reminded of um, the story of Maryam alayhi salam, where, from, um, where when she's giving birth, um, I forgot what the, uh, what the ayah was specifically, but it's as, it's as if she says, um, Ya laytani, um, Dr. Shadi, do you remember the ayat? Yeah, wa kuntu mansiya. So this kind of suggests that you know Maryam salam, Why would she uh, be making this dua or ma you know making this insha if mercy itself, if she knew that mercy, you know, that to exist was to be a mercy? So why would she make a statement like this? Yeah. So it's not. unusual to feel overwhelmed right? right not unusual to feel overwhelmed and when one does feel overwhelmed uh, there's difference between your reaction and your response right. that sometimes right. when at the moment of being overwhelmed you may react in a way that is just one that's the beginning of your response and that's one of the ways the scholars of of quranic interpretation of, of tafsir that have explained that that that's just one that's just the beginning of, of her response and you see that with many of the sahaba etc um, even some of the other you know, the, the great prophets initially and that's just part of the weakness of the human condition the reality is Allah subhanahu wa tells us خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفَ the human being has been created weak right? and part of our weakness we can the, initially we look at something it can seem huge overwhelming, unbearable, but then if we stop and reflect and consult, we contextualize it, 
consider outcomes, then we can see the reality that Allah does not make, Allah does not burden any soul beyond its capacity. So in those situations where things seem overwhelming, that's natural because life is meant to be testing. That you know, there's no, how how you initially feel is not rejected. That's your initial reaction, but then you do have to step back, consider, consult, contextualize, and then you you see the wisdom in the way things are, and that helps you. You know, respond in a way that you can see the mercy in it very clearly. I would add uh, that Surah Al-Araf gives us so much and it, it builds upon what you just said. And I want to point everyone to what you just said is that the mercy is if you act upon it or react to a tribulation as a believer. So in, in Surah Al-Araf, around 54 and 55 and 56, it begins by describing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the creator and it brings he created the heavens and he created the earth and then he says this creation is all his which is an extremely important reminder that about what justice is and what justice isn't is if this is mine and this is mine i and my phone is mine and the ring is mine nobody could tell me what to do with it there's never an injustice in how i handle my own possessions that's the first thing and the Sharia, the Sharia being his law. Now, it then calls for drawing near to Allah by dua, calling upon him. Call upon him in good times and in bad times, loud and silently, many in every possible way. That's how you're going to fulfill your position as a creation. You fulfill your position by praying to this creator. Okay, That's the relationship here. Now, it's Ayah 56 is so important. It says, وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Don't sow corruption in the earth. Meaning, the vast majority of bad things that happen are caused by humans. It's us who do them. And someone says, well, what about the hurricanes that happen uh, in Florida and destroy so many homes? Hold on a second. You don't know that hurricanes happen there? You live there. You took your own self and you went there, right? So, even in the natural disasters, it's something that human beings, in a sense, we are part of it, right? It's not maybe our direct fault. But setting that aside, the corruption of human beings is a large source of a lot of diseases and problems. Another reminder. But this is the ayah that's so important. If people are asking, where is the mercy here? Where is the mercy there? Allah says, Inna rahmatallahi qareebun min al-muhsineen. If you want to know where is the mercy in anything, you can't find it if you are not in a spiritual state of ihsan, even to cite, uh, to cite uh, you know, what some secularists may say. Einstein said you cannot solve a problem on the same mentality by which it was created. So if, you're, if your consciousness and your mentality has a certain level, the, 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 that's the reason the problem exists in the first place. You can't solve it at that same level. You actually have to elevate your consciousness to a higher level 
Now to be able to see this from a bird's eye view, move a couple pieces, then you realize what's going on. So you physically have to change, your spiritually have to change your state completely in order to see the wisdom behind something and see the mercy. And that's, and Allah pointed to that two times in this series of ayahs, make dua, make dua. And dua, what does it require? It requires a great amount of humility. It requires belief. It's ibadah. It's, and dua here, yashmal al-ibadah. It's all acts of ibadah. So I think that it's important to say that the, that first point that you made here is that when people ask, evil is ten, tends to be something people find no mercy in it. And yet Allah tells you, you will find mercy in it, but you have to change yourself first. You have to become one of the muhsineen. No, 100%. But part of it also is very often, you know, we feel like if you look at things just from the perspective of this life, right? life itself is brutal because you're going to die. Yeah, there's nothing more final than death, right? You're going to die. So it's a losing proposition, right? But things only make sense if you consider that in your life, that this, is, this isn't your life, right? You have a hereafter, firstly. Secondly, you have a Lord, right? And you have to consider who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's why Ibn Atayla Sakandari, one of the great Imams of Islamic spirituality, says, Let it diminish the pain of your tests, your tribulations, to know that it is He, it is Allah who is testing you. And are you accustomed to anything from Him except that which is good to you? So sometimes when there is a test, Rather than immediately reacting, this happened. You have to kind of pause and take things back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take things back to Allah. And which is why one of the deeply neglected acts of remembrance is to say, Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Truly, we are Allah's. And truly, it is to Allah that we are returning. This is said not only at the time of death, but it, it, it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it, those whom a misfortune befalls, that relates to when you hear about death, but anything else. That if something happens, you get sick, you get, you, you lose your eyesight temporarily or whatever, you have to realize, inna lillah, we are Allah's. But we are, and it is to Him we're returning. And we're returning to Him, He is the merciful. And as believers, we know there's a hereafter. There, there's a hereafter. And related to that, we also have to understand, this, is the, this life is an, is an exam room. And anything you get in this life is like snacks during your exam. Mm. It's an add-on. It's an add-on. The reward, the good that you find is not in this life. It's in the next life. So that's also, that's also important to appreciate. Right? That ultimately the good that you're seeking, the comfort that you're seeking, the joy that you're seeking is not in this life. 
that's just an add-on that while, while writing an ex the exam, I get to drink some coffee, there's some water, there's some snacks, but that's not the meal. And, and, and we should divide, de define evil technically in the Sharia, in Islam. If you're a Muslim, evil is defined officially as disobedience of Allah that is not followed by repentance. That is so important to limit it because evil in the eyes of people, if they don't define it, it becomes just a synonym for pain. Right. Right? right. They just use evil as pain for which they don't understand. Because everybody, I think, can understand the concept that you can in cause pain to happen to somebody, and but because you know that the future is better with this pain, nobody considers it evil. Like nobody considers a parent evil if they say no to eating sweets in excess. Nobody considers a parent evil if he forces his kids to study and gets him a tutor and makes him do math. Nobody considers a parent evil or a doctor evil if they open up a kid or stitch them up. But those are things that are extremely painful, right? And the reason is that we understand the reason. And we see with our own two eyes that this is better for us. Now, the whole leap, whether it's a difficulty of uh, the sharia or the difficulty of an event that occurs to us, is believing that this is good for you while not seeing it not being able to see the good or not understanding how this is good and in fact i actually personally i enjoy that because it's a mystery i was like i don't like to watch a movie that i know the ending to like i'm not even really interested in seeing a movie if i know what the ending is so the real mystery of life is to accept everything that happens that's bad in the way that the Sharia requires us to accept it. So the Sharia may say, fight back. The Sharia may say, accept it. But you have a belief that there's going to be some amazing goodness that comes out of this. Now you're living life as a mystery. And you can only connect the dots later on. right? So you can say, oh, that's why this happens. And there is this factor that Allah tries to bring out of us, which is the tasbih, which is the amazement. Why would you deprive yourself of this? So a bad thing happens, whatever the reason be, you, you wait a little bit. Sometimes I think when people have weak faith that Allah Ta'ala gives it to them right away. But as you mature and you become stronger, sometimes the wisdom comes 30 years later because he's strong enough, he's mature enough with Allah Ta'ala to know Yes, that was painful. I don't know the reason, but we will someday know the reason that this happened. It increases your awe in the Creator and it gives life some mystery. Rather than, I want to know the ending. I'm not watching the movie until, we, until I know the ending. You're missing out on life. The joy of all the joy of life is that everything is unfolding. Every mystery is unfolding for us. And the only way you could do that is really what you said earlier on is to accept it as a believer. If you accept it as a disbeliever, you will not see it. And in this subject of evil, in the subject of science, they say seeing is believing because you got to do the demonstration, mix blue and green, mix blue and yellow, produce green. I got to see it first before I believe it. But in faith and in evil, it's believing first. Then you will see the truth. You will see the wisdom. But you got to believe first. Which is why the, you know, the Prophet ﷺ said, 
that come to know Allah when times are easy and he will know you when times are difficult meaning he will grant you that ease of having clarity and certitude when things are difficult right and when somebody finds that difficulty or distress right, whether in life or related to some religious test that there's something very difficult before them that taking that time to cultivate one's faith helps give one perspective helps give one perspective that spend some time come to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rather than dealing with the with what happened take a moment to think about who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know learn a little bit about his mercy learn a little bit about the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even the things that the Prophet told us to recite daily, all of them, one of the key emphases in it is to appreciate the, the reality of divine mercy. What, what, what do we recite in the prayer? The Fatiha. One of the key themes in it is if you reflect on the Fatiha. Well, the, uh, our respected Malikis don't begin with the Bismillah, but <laughs> you, 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 there's the mention of divine mercy. In the get-go, even Allah being Rabbul Alameen, the caring, sustaining, nurturing Lord of all that exists. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the encompassingly merciful, the particularly merciful. And a lot of this, a lot of the keys to being able to put evil or tests and difficulties in perspective are in the things that we're supposed to say and do daily. Most Practicing Muslims would know, for example, that in morning and night, they know we're supposed to say the three quls, the mu'awwidat. So we say, and there's no surprise in it. Surat, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَهِ النَّاسِ We know from both Surat Al-Falaq and Surat Al-Nas that Allah is the creator of evil. He tells us that. مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقُ From we seek refuge in Allah from all the evil that he has created. And th therein is the wisdom of evil, that Allah has created it, that will you return to me? Will you return to me? I, I seek refuge in Allah. What is seeking refuge? You go to what you seek refuge in. A refugee goes somewhere. Right? Mm. So that's, that's one of the, the key wisdoms in it. That's why if you look back on your life, Rarely are blessings, for most people, rarely are blessings what caused a transformation in your relationship with Allah. Mm, Typically, it is some test, some difficulty that caused you to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or I, something I, you didn't mm. like. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, Dr. Shadi, but for example, when I came back to Canada in 2007, I realized something amazing. That the people... In my circle of friends who struggled most in their relationship with Allah and in their religion and also emotionally etc are those who appeared to have appeared to have quote-unquote successful marriages Ajib. why because marriages you know you have a successful career have a successful marriage you have bigger house bigger waistline bigger car bigger this but ever diminishing 
relationship with Allah and the deen. Mm. Many of them, not all, many. Shallow. Whereas other people who had disaster after disaster in their career, in their marriage, financially, in their health. Oh my God, that's such a tragedy. However, that transformed their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's that mystery that you talked about. That, you know, when we perform the prayer of seeking guidance, Salat al-Istikhara, which is one of the things you should, one, you know, should make part of our regular routine. Anytime you have to make a decision or a difficult choice. But at the end of it, what do we say? And destine the good for me wherever it may be. And then make me content with it. Why? Because what I think is good for me may not be good. And what I think is bad for me may well be good. Mm. And, um, and that's just... And as you live, you realize that. I was legally blind almost four years. Ajeeb. You know, um, from 2014 to 2018. I had retinal bleeding and retinal detachment, etc. I, till late 2018, hadn't read a book physically for four years. I had to use digital devices and stuff. But, you know, but it's a tremendous blessing because you realize your weakness, your neediness to Allah. You realize many things. You're, um, and and that's a tremendous blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. You get you appreciate the things that you take for granted. And now I can actually read. I'm always reminded there was a time I couldn't. So you put them in perspective. Right? So that's one of the one of the the aspects as well. Um, you you bring up uh, the the type of pampered person who has no trials, and it reminds me that most of the people. Who, who, who question the Creator, they question Allah, they question God because of some bad thing that happens. These people, their quality, they have to have another quality, is they're extremely selfish. Because you've witnessed so many other people suffering. And you went on life normally. But when 1% of that suffering came, comes on to you, all of a sudden, evil is an issue, right? I think that's such an important point. This idea and this concept of entitlement in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The entitled who believe that they're entitled to a life of no pain whatsoever and no loss. It's tied to this issue and this problem. Whereas if a person had some selflessness and would consider others. You realize there's nothing that we're here in the Western Hemisphere. You could draw a line. 99.999% of us, whatever happens to us, is not going to be close to what happens to a random person from the Eastern Hemisphere. Uh, a death. Every five years, someone in Gaza loses eight out of nine family members in one day. Every few years, this happens in Gaza. Uh, there's no comparison. So why is it, it seems that you knew about that, it didn't bother you at all? That no, but even evil. if you if you see those people, I, I was living in Amman, in Jordan, and over 70% of, of Jordanians are of Palestinian origin. Mm -hmm. And you, you meet a lot of Palestinians who've lost, their whole village has been wiped out. Yeah, This has happened, that has happened. But how do they respond to it? 
right? Mm. How do they respond to it? They respond with faith. They respond with faith. You know, they respond in amazing, you know, in an amazing way. And part of that, you know, this idea of entitlement is also that this is where is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his mercy, emphasizes the need for bonds of family, of neighborhood, of community, of society. Right? Because on your own, it's very easy to be spoiled and pampered and entitled. But when you have this network of relationships, you see that those around you, and you're close with them, you're living mm -hmm. with them, right? that people have difficulties, they suffer. You see how others respond. You see both good responses and poor responses. And so that you have to learn how to sacrifice because you wanted to have dinner, but you waited because your friend was running late. Right? These little thoughtful actions help you be thoughtful with respect, not only to other people, but also thoughtful in your relationship with your creator. That you have this small problem, but if you step back, you go, okay, I've lost my sight in my in one eye. It used to be actually, I thought, and it's part of the mystery. It used to be funny because sometimes I like I take a step, especially the left eye. I take a step left and I would miss the ground with my step. I just fall over. My daughter was like, yeah, it has good manners. She would walk away because it was too funny. I'd miss the first step. I, I thought it was hilarious. Um, but... But then you step back and say, okay, I have this challenge, but I'm alive. Allah has created me. I'm alive. I'm a human being. I could have been that stone. Mm -hmm. I have faith. I have guidance. I have good of this life, and there's a promise of the good of the next. So what am I missing? Nothing. So that, that takes us to another feature that is, is very important in this issue, which is comparison. Contrast. All blessing is really contrast. And all evil and all harm is also contrast. I debated with a brother for years when I finally, he just admitted why he's so-called quote-unquote angry with God, which is a, 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 a contradictory statement because if you're admitting there is a God, your anger with him makes no sense. It makes no sense on the nature of who God is and also on, on the nature of how weak you are. You're not winning this battle, number one. And number two, the nature of God himself, he has no reason to pick on somebody. And one guy said to him, uh, an older brother said to him, who are you for Allah to do injustice to? Like, like who are you if even, for even that to happen? But most importantly, what was he upset about? His grandma died. Everyone's grandma dies, right? That's part of life is to bury your grandparents. It's it's a dry run for burying your parents. If you think about it, you're not it's a mercy that you have grandparents that's like one click away from your knit relations to your parents. You're gonna bury them. That's a dry run for burying your parents. But most importantly is you must have not interacted with human beings because that happens to everybody. And all of everything good is a contrast. Everything bad is also a contrast. So if I sit around and I hang out with billionaires, then if I'm a millionaire, I feel poor. I was laughing one time when I saw 
there are people who are left off the, the Forbes 500, richest people in the world. There's a group of like people who are very close, but they left off. They're so upset, right? They're like so bitter that they lost out and they're not in the f 500 anymore. But these people are all billionaires, right? So it's all contrast. Habib Ahmed tells a story that he went from in the Emirates to somebody's house and they entered into one palace and then they come into another hall and the chandelier in this hall is like the biggest one in the Eastern Hemisphere. Then the next hall, then the rug in this thing is worth hundred thousand, uh, whatever, reals. And then everyone's like, wow, this is amazing, this is amazing. And then the owner says, oh, wait until you see so-and-so's home. <laughs> so the, way, the, the owner isn't even satisfied. It's all contrast. And what you mentioned about being around people, the, the jama'ah, the masjid that gathers everybody, one of the great wisdoms of the masjid, it's a place of gathering and learning the scale in your head of what is actually a problem and what is not. And that's the beauty of the jama'ah and the masjid. You'll never stop finding benefit wisdoms to the jama'ah and the masjid and Allah forcing us to go to jama'ah then highly recommending the group prayers the funerals all that is because you're going to see everybody there like you see all walks of life and probably more of the poor than of the rich so you see the rich there sometimes we all see the, see the poor yeah and, and, and that's where also you know it's so important like to, to go out, out there and greet people and you, know, you put like you know when I was having my my vision stuff one of the mosques I, I'd go to um, the founders of the mosque were all generally getting to retirement age. They'd established it 20 years before. And, and they'd be, you know, you find these older individuals. You go and greet them. And how are things going? I said, no, Sheikh, tell me, how's your wife? How is your lovely children? How's this? They asked them, so how are you doing? So, you know, his... his <laughs> You know, his brother passed away. His brother passed away last week. His wife's got, you know, stage four cancer and this and that. And you see how this person is responding. Right? He is, that, that is the beauty of certitude. Right? Mm -hmm. The beauty of certitude. I don't usually do a lot of sort of pastoral services in the community, but during COVID I did. You know, especially with immediate, you know, number of people in immediate family and with my in-laws and and you see it's amazing mm. like how people who have yaqeen who have certitude respond respond uh i have a question and if you look at some of the people who who struggle right and just just sorry i'll yeah that i got in trouble at one of these funerals because there's someone from my wife's side of the family he passed away and they asked me to you know to to lead the, the funeral, etc. And and I was looking at his, you know, we're about to bury him, and I smiled. So this man led a life of long service, and he did all this good, and he's left good children and done all of this. I couldn't help but smile. Why? Because you know that you have a merciful Lord. And he has a merciful Lord. Mm -hmm. He's done good. And Every expectation we have that, you know, if everything is that is as it appeared, this is a believer destined to to the eternal good. 
let me well, tell you something of... amazing about this. There, <laughs> there was a brother in the community who <clears throat> he describes funerals as being amazing. Like when a person was righteous, his description of the funeral, like it was like, this is, a, is an amazing funeral, right? And people look at him like, it's like a weird reaction, but it, that reaction makes so much sense. Because when you have someone who was Salah, this is the whole point of why he was doing all those deeds, right? He was doing it just to attain his reward. Today he got his reward, and nobody ever gets a, 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 a nobody ever lives righteously and dies except that there are so many signs of, of Allah's pleasure with him in their funeral itself. There was one brother, he died from Corona in Ramadan on a Friday, right? While fasting. Like, you, you can't get any better than that. That's an occasion to me to celebrate this person. Yeah, maybe, of course, if he's leaving a widow or leaving young kids, it's a little bit different, right? But in general, to me, that's a celebration. That's not even something that... He, he did it. Some of you finished your mission. When someone crosses the finish line and then goes into a tent and you never see them again, you know he's going to somewhere good, right? Because Allah will not give a good death to Fajr and a Fasik like this, right? Someone died, the whole community comes out. It's a Friday. It's, he's fasting. It's Ramadan. He gets shahada because it was like a certain type of death, drowning or whatever. You should envy that kind of death. This is a celebration. That's how we this view is, death. This is where, this is where you know, we have to cultivate that perspective of eternity. Right? Mm -hmm. That perspective of eternity that, you know, what is life except seeing that say it is all from Allah, right? number one. And anything that happens only makes sense insofar as how do you respond to it, right? right? In that sense, if you don't respond to, to something that seems good, for you, it is a tribulation. Mm. Right? That you, know, you were blessed with a successful job. But what did you do with the extra money you're making? You invested it in the haram. You spent it in the haram. You became more distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a tribulation in your life. It wasn't a success. Whereas you had, you suffered loss. You discovered you have stage four cancer. And not you, like the conceptual you. Allah mm. protect you mm -hmm. and us. I mean, right? Someone discovered that they have stage four cancer. But they saw that as, okay, I have a limited time now to make good my relationship with Allah. He is merciful. Repentance will wipe away everything I've done before. And that's a tremendous blessing. That was not a tribulation for them. That is ascent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me talk about uh, something else that many Muslims have trouble with, which is addiction. And a lot of people have different addictions that they start to wonder, where is the mercy of Allah in in allowing me to collapse into this addiction. I'll thought, for example, I met a youth who was all in about Yom Al-Qiyamah, like the end times, all of technology has to fail for Sayyidina Isa to come down, and it's just going to be a big bloodbath. And I said, man, what are you so into this for? It, yeah, it could be, who knows, and it could not be, and it could be soon, and it could be in 50 years. But he was like, look, the, shaykh, the fitna is too much, I'm just looking forward to the whole collapse of the whole thing, right? Because the fitness. Now, clearly, 
he has like some addictions and the addict should should actually take heed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala motivates us to ibadah by fear it doesn't mean only a fear of this life it's a fear of the consequences of sins so that maybe if someone is completely uh, dense and far from Allah they need a fear in this life like being wanted by the police or something like or a disease or something a fear of this life to motivate them well some people they're already in the deen right but they're not moving fast hard enough fast enough they're not moving unless their deen starts to be at risk and they start to fall into major sins or minor sins with with repetitiveness and that either a they could be exposed for this or b they're going to destroy their afterlife that's also a form of fear and allah moves people by fear so sometimes these bad things happen they're not always in the form of a natural disaster because some natural disasters like a death or earthquakes or things like that there is an element to it of mercy where i can talk about it without shame people sympathize with me and i'm not guilty right but there's another type of evil which were or perceived evil or pain which is where you're guilty you're the doer of it all that is also a bala it's a major calamity on people and a you may be embarrassed by it some addictions people are embarrassed and some they're not some people make it i'm addicted to smoking they'll just say it openly right i i am a smoker other people will say they in certain circles they won't be embarrassed to say i i drink but most people would tend to be embarrassed to say that they're porn porn addicts right or gay porn addicts right people have weird sins odd and unnatural and un- not normal sins but part of their tribulation they got to keep it inside them they're too embarrassed to mention it but we have to understand the role of this in spiritual life is that sometimes that itself if you didn't have this problem you wouldn't be moving to allah but also to no definitely but also to recognize the mercy in that right that that may you know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not sent you the test except that he sent you the keys to get out of it mm, subhanallah right? number one, right what are they the very fact that you realize that this is bad is a mercy mm. right secondly allah has given you opportunities that there are people you may be embarrassed to go down to dr shadi and say sheikh i have this problem his presence in your community is a mercy or maybe not in your community but you have taken classes with safina society etc who would you rather deal with dr shadi if i can ask you mm. you know someone comes and you ask him how are things going i say everything's fine and someone else books to an appointment with you and they tell you the biggest problem they have in life which 15 minutes are better yeah for you you the know what the, you the, help the, somebody you the one who tells me everything's good in life so i said i put him to work yeah right right but that's your yeah, so so that's where your you know the presence of a teacher in your community for example is a mercy that you, ha- you have a problem you have t- scholars ideally you got to know them beforehand but if you don't a lot of times people want to look good with the sheikh you know they they'll take a gift to them 
the sheikh, welcome to our community, they give you a shawl. That's, that's nice, but the sheikh probably has loads of shawls. <laughs> um, the, the, big, the, the, the most important thing you, you take to a doctor is your sickness. Mm -hmm. That you just go to the doctor and say, how are things? I'm perfectly fine. The doctor knows everybody has something <laughs> going on. So these are circles of mercy. Your community is mercy. You have family, friends. And if you don't, seek them out because they're around. They're, they're around. The internet brings loads of challenges, but we have means of connecting with sources of assistance. So these are things to, to, to put those, like addictions, for example. If we step back, if we step back, addictions are a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we can only see them for what they are. Allah My mercy encompasses everything. And this is this is a this this is a test. But you know also from Allah's mercy, and I learned this from Sheikh Siraj Hendricks in South in South uh, South Africa in Cape Town, that when he was studying in the Hijaz with some of the senior scholars, he would feel very overwhelmed. And he read something that he put on top of his desk that a person does not have to attain success. They're only responsible for striving. And he said something really beautiful and basic that you can summarize if you look in the Quran, because this is a promise in the Quran that really, because and that no person shall have except what they strive for. This is both a threat that you have to strive, but also that you will have all that you strive for, not what you attain. So the addict, they, you may die an addict. You're not held responsible for that. You're responsible for committing to leave the addiction, for your sincerity, and for your striving. And you did your best to get out of it. And that's why Allah loves the, the oft-repentant. Mm -hmm. That whenever they err, they sincerely repent and they keep returning. They keep returning. Um, so, but also take the means. That's the, the important thing. Right? You, you, it's very important to appreciate if someone's struggling with some tests, some tribulation, that you're not alone. The Prophet said, Al-Jama'atu Rahma wal Furqatu Adab. That the group, and I asked several of the, the, the scholars. That could you translate jama'ah there as community as well? Mm -hmm. right? That community is mercy and being alone is torment, said the Prophet You Alone you feel tormented. So reach out, reach out, reach out. Now uh, let's bring up another subject. If everything is muqaddar, everything is destined, these terrible temptations exist in the world, and people find so much misery comes to their life because of these things. Now they may start asking a question. Well, do, is Allah doing these things? And does Allah do, as one questioner here has said, uh, Green Gummies has said, is, does Allah do these evil things? How would you answer something like that? No, so we, 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 we respond that it's not... If you consider things with just one eye, mm -hmm. you don't have perspective. Mm -hmm. You don't have perspective. Um, we affirm both realities. 
And there's a very dramatic example, one of my dear teachers in Damascus and a lifelong friend, Sheikh Mu'min al-Annan, he entered, you know, he was a friend of his visited, who's a Quran teacher. And they're close friends. You can only do this with a close friend. Mm-hmm. It's like an old Arab, what's called a Bayt Arabi, mm-hmm. an old traditional Arab house. So you, you, you enter through a corridor, it end up in an open courtyard. And the Quran teacher said to him, you know, if everything is destined, then how are we responsible? Sheikh Mu'min said, I don't know what came over me. I grabbed his glasses and threw them on the stone floor. And this is like the late 90s. It was, there, there were actual glass glasses. They smashed. So the Quran teacher said, what did you do? So he looked at him and said, exactly. And he went to make the coffee. SubhanAllah. Because Subhanallah. we affirm both things intuitively. That, yes, everything is necessarily. Things only exist because Allah created them and Allah is sustaining them. Mm-hmm. And Allah exists beyond time. But we affirm human responsibility as relates to our actions and our choices and the actions and choices of others. Right? So we affirm that, yes, the oppressor is created by Allah, but does not mean we just say, okay, oppression is from Allah. No, we have a moral responsibility to respond to oppression by standing up to it as our religion tells us. Right? So we have to be, faith only works with submission. Right? The eye of faith tells us everything is from Allah. But the eye of being a servant of God is whatever happens, we say, okay, what does God expect from me? What does Allah expect from me? And that's how we respond. And that's our that's our the two parts of our of our duty. I would like to add two quick things before Oz speaks, is that it's very important to separate between the creator of evil and being evil. You can create something very harmful, like Iblis or evil, with a very wise intention. Me, or meaning that the end result of this is going to be ex, is going to be something that could not would not have been attained without it. Okay, so that's one thing. Second issue is that Allah has the right to test us. We forgot that, like we can't forget this. So He has the right to create for you the temptation that you're looking for, or the tribulation that you find it difficult, because He has the right to test you. And nobody would want paradise. Okay, paradise isn't something for free. It has a cost. If you didn't pay the cost, you would never know its value. And when the atheists come and say, "Well, I never asked to be exi- to never asked to exist," there's a lot of you know people say this like bad things are happening, but I never consented to exist. I never asked to exist. Well, the first answer there is, "Okay, kill yourself then," or "Let me put a blade next to your neck and see how you're going to react." You're going to react in a way that proves you love of life, right? That's number one. And number two, let's just remember who you are. Your consent isn't required in a lot of things. These essential beliefs are so important to what you had mentioned, which is the submission. You can't attain, you cannot see the wisdom if you're at the level of consciousness of arrogance and lack of submission. That submission has to come first, and then the wisdoms will open up for you. Oz, you have to say something? A question that I had was um, a lot of what we're talking about and the advice that uh, we've been given today mm-hmm. is predicated on the idea that you can actually acknowledge the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that you can actually see it. Um, 
But there's people who are unable to acknowledge that. For example, you see so many kids these days, parents are struggling with the fact that the kids are ungrateful to the parents themselves. Yeah. And the kids themselves, and you know, society is pushing these kids to say these type of things. Mm-hmm. You have three-year-olds and four-year-olds who are saying that, you know, that even them, like at that young age, they're rejecting the outward reason for their existence, right? The parents are, that's why we honor them so much because they're the outward reason on why you exist, yep. on why you can eat, why you can breathe, mm. why you're taken care of, why you have a roof over your head. And they're already, you know, going down this path of ungratefulness. They start by being ungrateful to the parents and then it's just a quick, you know, um, quick path towards being ungrateful to the creator himself. So what's the cure for that? You know, because as time goes by, it's starting younger and younger where you have such young children who are already going down this path of ungratefulness. And if they continue down this path, they're, you know, they're not going to be able to acknowledge that there's even mercy out there, that there's even blessings. I personally believe that the the parents are the first teachers (laughs) of how you're going to have a relationship with Allah. If you're not forced to respect your parents and your parents don't force it, or they first may start it, teach it nicely, inspire it, etc. Okay. Then they have to make it happen. And you're not going to just respect your parents. You're going to respect your grandparents. You're going to respect your uncles, the elders in the masjid, everyone else that you deal with. If they don't teach that, and they don't teach you that you don't get everything you want right away, I'm telling you sometimes the best believer, the fastest route, he has a ma'rifah, and the fastest route is because their parents taught them the essence of things. Gratitude, submission, you're not in charge all the time, not everything that you want you're going to get. I know better than you. All these things are the microcosm. The DNA of taqwa and ma'rifa are being placed. Now all that has to happen, the, the, the sheikh has to teach you theology yeah. and law and how to worship. But your relationships, you're good at. You understand all these things. Yeah. Yet also, by the way, I have to add one more thing. Some parents are too much, whereas the kid doesn't think, he can't breathe. He can't actually express himself. He thinks it's wrong to express himself. When he goes to religion, they're too strict. They have no, they don't believe that Allah is merciful because they didn't see that mercy in their house. So you actually have to have both. It's very important to have both that, wait, you could do something. You can have ideas. You can want nice things in life. You can want to... Do, breathe and take your time and do things and and all that stuff if that's the case with a lot should definitely be the case with your parents so the parents need to actually know that as well because sometimes they put right. a chokehold and a, a straitjacket kid guess what kind of religion he's going to believe is true right the straitjacket religion because that's all he knows have you ever come across parents um where you know they come and they complain about these things they say that you know my son or my daughter they're so ungrateful and i'm having such a difficult time with them and then after that, say six months down the line, they come back to you and they say, you know, the my son or my daughter, they're so much better now. You know, they're better with the family. Uh, has that ever happened? And if so, do the parents ever share what caused these children to change or what the parents did that caused this change to happen and this improvement to happen? Let's see Sheikh Faraz, what he says. Yeah. Change happens, right, but... One of the, the key things in this is, you know, the Prophet said, each of you is a shepherd and each of you is responsible for their flock. Okay? That you can't force change typically, right? You have to, you know, be like the wise shepherd. You know, if the sheep is 
stuck in the in the thorny bushes, you can't just grab the sheep and say, get out. Right? Right. If a sheep is running away, you run behind the sheep, it may fall over the cliff. Right? So you have to be the wise, the wise shepherd. You have to, you know, you have to get the sheep to the safe pastures. But you cannot force the change. You have to, you know, get them there. Right? You have to get them there. And, and that takes time. It also takes a lot of discipline and patience. I've, and one of my teachers, um, you know, he, someone asked him about, what do I tell my brother who's not, who's very distant from deen? He said, don't talk to him at all about deen, even if he asks. Why? He said, because if you tell him about something about deen, is he going to listen? Say, no. But what's going to happen? He's going to get annoyed. Then, why say something that won't have benefit? So you have to sort of be, be that shepherd in whatever relation, between a parent and a child, for example. In the, actually, the Prophet says something, everything about the Prophet is amazing. He said, Assist your children in being good to you. Once my mother was quite annoyed with the kids. You know, so she said, you know, if I didn't cook for you guys, you wouldn't visit us. I said, no, we They were like, okay, well, it reminded me to check my intentions, right? But, you know, you, so you have to see how do you bring the person back? And sometimes it can seem difficult. So that's why don't just have that, Sheikh, how are you doing? This and that, you know, I'm whatever. But go and consult. Have the courage. It actually, it's an act of strength to consult. It's an act of strength. And there's different people you consult about different things. Right? So it's not weakness that you go to your team. Even if you don't know them, you, you kind of, you've noticed the imam of your masjid seems like a smart, wise person, mature. Okay, you, you may not want to ask your fiqh teacher or the, the person you're attending some programs with. But there's somebody else. Go and have the courage. To, that's being a strong believer. Why? Because ultimately, you'll be able to Make better choices. Mm -hmm. You have one brother in the. I whenever I'd see his mother come to the center, I knew exactly what's the topic. Sheikh Faraz, get my son married in front of everybody. Subhanallah. <laughs> and last thing he wanted to do is get married. I, I convinced Auntie, let's strike a deal. <coughs> Please don't talk to him at, at all about marriage, even if he brings it up, and see what happens. The secretly I knew, he was annoyed by her insistence. And number two, he felt intimidated. Within six months, they, he got married. Okay? So very often, we get stuck in a situation. We, we're not responding. We're just reacting to it. Mm -hmm. right? Whereas if you step back and don't react, just say, okay, what should I do? That'll have good outcomes. So you consider, but also consult. Consult. I think as, uh, when you speak about tribulations like that that parents have with kids it reminds me that certain qualities and virtues there's no shortcut to them they have to take they can only develop in a long period of time like there are certain foods you cannot cook in half an hour they require four hours in the oven or something like that so like a, a turkey you can't if you you can't be late and cook it real quick it requires a long time in the oven so likewise in our it, when it comes to character 
you can't shortcut a lot of things. There are no shortcuts to these things. And so a lot of people find themselves in like prolonged 5, 10, 15 year tribulations where they can't even fathom the end. They wouldn't even know what life is like without this tribulation. But that's the tribulation that's teaching you a quality. And you're going to have to react to that tribulation, handle it so many times before that goes from being a hal to a maqam. Like from a state to a, to a, a, a that's your permanent state. Um, the words hal and maqam loosely mean state and station, which means you could say that somebody was generous once and you could say <laughs> that someone is generous all the time, Right. So my friend was going through a tribulation where he was wrongfully being, like money was wrongfully uh, judged by a judge to be his responsibility, certain, certain bills. And he was losing amounts of money to the point that he came to the masjid one night having said that he just wrote a six-digit check. Which he was completely wronged in this. He had the... the, the by Sharia, even by secular law, many judges and lawyers said, "You are this is a, a ridiculous decision that's being held against you. And he himself began to start to think, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making my hand loose in writing checks. And I would have never written this amount, given away this amount of money unless I was forced to. I was like, that's an amazing wisdom. That is an amazing wisdom because he's writing checks and he's been wronged for over 10 years. He never had to, he, this, he shouldn't have paid any of this money. And then he had a six-digit one. Okay. When was the last time, how many people in their life write, physically write a check for six digits? Imagine now you're writing it be, as oppression, right? But Allah, I said, this, you got it. You're, you understand now why Allah is doing this. He's forcing your hand to, to, to be loose in giving money so that in the future, when this tribulation is over, you're going to give so much money in sadaqah and so many institutions are going to be built just by your wealth, right? Or by your charity. So sometimes these long-winded tribulations, they, they are, they're cooking a quality within a person that is going to be the reason for so much of their good much later on. Yeah, but, but that good... Sometimes could be in this life, mm -hmm. but someone could die with that tribulation still present. Right? And that's where you also have to keep the next life in perspective as well. Right? The next life in, in perspective. Right? That it'll help, you know, they, they'll, they may well be good for you in it in this life, but there's for certain good for you in it in the next life. Right? And that's where part of dua as well is that. When you make dua for something, to have that certitude in the divine response. There's one older lady in our community. She came to consult about her and from a religious family. She's a pious woman. Her son had drifted a little bit. He was going to marry a non-Muslim girl, right? And not even of the you know like Jewish or Christian. But this older lady, she was. So serene. So one day, you know, she had a follow-up appointment. I said, how are you feeling about this? She said, I am completely content. I said, how come? He said, 
बेटा माई सन बिकॉज आई हैव मेड दुआ एंड आई नो दैट माई अल्लाह एंसर्स दुआस एंड शी डेंट नो अलॉट अबाउट दीन इज वेट पायस वोमन एंड दैट्स वाई यू नो दे डिफरेंस इन in terms of beliefs is that you have to be certain about Allah's response of dua or just have to be reasonably sure <laughs> but that's a very subtle difference because the prophet said ud'u Allah wa antum muqinuna bil ijaba call upon Allah with certainty in his response so if you're dealing a with a tribulation with your child and you've sincerely made dua you have to have certitude that Allah has responded to it now how is the response going to manifest it may not manifest in this life but that's where you have to have trust in allah and trust in the mercy of allah and that's part of the benefit of a test it increases you in certitude mm -hmm. and how that's manifest leave that to and and i want to add for listeners that um this may be a discussion point but whenever ijaba is brought in the quran it means in the dunya first that even that yaqeen that it's mujab fi dunya first right that for example fastajaba lahu rabbu sayyidna yusuf and sayyidna uh, uh, zakaria and many others when so i asked when the word ijaba is used does it mean in the dunya as you ask it or as a reward in the akhirah and he said no when allah uses that word istijaba it is fid dunya so that's the optimism and when you have that optimism that's what keeps people moving because there's hope right there's hope and that's say nadi said that you will not pay allah ta'ala in cash and he pays you in credit and the beauty of when your dua is answered in a different form so i asked one of the shaykh what is it well how do i know the sign of what the prophet i said him said you either get what you want or something better or uh, it'll be safe for you in the akhirah he said that the first one is that you, when you get it you get it you know that one the second one is that you yourself utter it like you yourself would say oh i was asking for uh cambridge i got ox i got uh london instead oh london was way better i'm so glad i got london so you say it yourself that's one of the signs that you will utter it yourself and i said what about the one that is saved for you in the akhirah he said that and and habib umar mentioned this he said if you made dua 1000 times and your dua was answered he said one of those prayers were answered there was one of them was answered the rest 999 were saved for you the akhirah another alim said that there are prayers that people make that when they if they were not to receive them they would not be in pain such as large scale dua for the ummah that you may never see the time where your ummah is strong and its enemies are afraid of it right that may be saved for you on the akhirah like it would not cause you great amounts of pain that you haven't received it it's an amazing subject the topic of that sharh of that uh, hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that's the mercy of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right the, the to to really reflect on 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 the mercy of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allah tells in the quran reflect on the traces of the mercy of your lord mm. right that we should
practice, you know, seeing the traces of his mercy in everything. You walk, you just see, like even if you look at cars as they go around a bend, you see the mercy in that. Like, you know, that just the, 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 the order of things. And you, you go, a bird flies by. What if it, you know, you, know, you have like seagulls and this and that. What if they just flew a lot more randomly and they hit you? Those beaks are kind of scary. I have a bit of an active imagination. Car came and stopped right by you. Mm. Right? All these things. But just appreciate mercy. If you have kids, you, you, you come to believe that kids are indeed so, surrounded by angels because they fell off and this happened near misses. You see in everything. You know, these traces, you know, practice seeing the traces of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and you're enveloped in it. You're, you're enveloped in it. Like you didn't have to make your heart beat. Mm -hmm. It's beating. You didn't have to make the oxygen do what's doing in your body. It's all happening. That's all mercy. I so, think it takes a lot of practice. Being optimistic, it's not something that's a theory. You have to actually but do But that's it. why company is so important though, right? Company yeah. is so important because you keep the company of people of, of faith, both, you know, that's why company in terms of your circle of friends, <laughs> it's very important to purposely seek out, believe your people of active faith in your circle of friends mm -hmm. and to keep regular company. So many people are alone and to keep company. A lot of times in our social circles, what do we do? Let's meet up for dinner. <coughs> what do we do? Basically, we show up at a restaurant or wherever, we eat, then we have dessert, and then people depart. And most of the conversation was around, how was the steak? It was very mm. so. It's not actually keeping company. We just had an appointment. Yeah. Right? But spending time, rather than spending canned time online and so on, to have real human relationships, right? That, that helps, um, but also to have in life people you look up to, mm -hmm. people you look up to. That it's a, it, you can consult, a... you can observe their example. I was, you know, I, I go to Istanbul because we have, you know, many of the Syrian scholars there. You know, we, we support through the Islamic Scholars Fund at Seekers. And <laughs> one of these scholars, right, like he's lost half his family in Syria, his own son, um, you know, he was had a tip off that they're after you, so he left Syria. His one one of his sons stayed behind to take care, you know, to wrap things up and he head back. The building his son was in was bombed. Subhanallah. The whole building collapsed on his son. He lost both legs. He actually works with us at, at Seekers. This guy, but they thought he was dead. But he came out of the rubble, right? And one disaster after the other. Troubled, yeah, all like it's just, but you spend time with him and you see not just acceptance, acceptance would be disrespectful to him to say, but he is, he has contentment and joy, right? Contentment and joy at the way things are, right? And that's really important, right? And that's why some of the practical thing, if you go to the masjid, try to spend even if it's a minute with some of the old people in the masjid. And not just to say salam, just get to, get to know them. And that's part of, it doesn't matter what your age is. This was sunnah of our Prophet to respect the elders. One of the benefits is 
they've lived. If you have a few difficulties, they've had a lifetime of difficulties. Mm. But look at how they put, put it in perspective. Right? Get to know your teachers. Get to know other people of faith around you. Right? Because these are circles of mercy. Right? These are circles of mercy. Right? And the circles of mercy are like being in paradise. Right? Like being in paradise. So make the most of that. Make the make make the most of that, um, and don't be alone. Right? That's mm. really really critical. Right? The Prophet told us not to eat alone, not to live alone, not to even at night. And it doesn't relate just to women. If people knew the harm of traveling alone at night, nobody would travel alone at night. And the ulama say this not only going on long trips, mm -hmm. but even in town, you're heading back from work. Make it a habit when you can to carpool together, to take that extra step to be with other people. And these are circles of mercy. And we've, we've accustomed ourselves, okay, I'll just grab a quick bite and do this. No, take that extra step of finding someone to eat with. And... And that helps us put things in, in, in perspective as well. It's also hard to, to actually stay depressed if you always have people around you, yeah. right? And the other thing is to serve, is to yes. serve. Right? If you see you know, older people who don't, even when they're, they're not you know, like observing elders in, in the community and so on, people who are in the service of others, right? and like my, my mother is going through cancer, and I was like, how? and she's, What's she doing during cancer? She's going serving other elders in the neighborhood. Why? I just asked her, like, but you're not what? She says, listen, if I didn't go around, you know, being with other people, I would get depressed. Because then I would, I'd be living in my mind. So she's yeah. out there. I'm like, come on, you gotta. You I mean, know. it's so true. And it's also a feature of the depressed is that they tend to not do those things. They never do anything for anyone else. It's actually a feature of someone who's depressed. Is that's one of their qualities. It's like in surveys. Oz, what else do you have for us? Should we go to Q&A right now? Can we take 10 minutes for Q&A? If we haven't, we've, we've covered, we've touched, I think, on the essential things, like definition of evil, why it exists, how to react to it, uh, how to understand it vis-a-vis -vis destiny and qadr. Right? We, I think we covered a lot of the essentials here advice that yeah. Sheikh Faraz you gave to find a community yeah um, and it's not just enough like alhamdulillah we have online communities now mm -hmm. uh, but it's not it's not just enough um, no it's not enough at all you where, because you have to observe people like what Sheikh Faraz is saying about you know you go like for example when we go to lunch with you and when the community the entire community is there it's not like we're talking about Dean 24-7 no yeah. we're just observing each other and just by virtue of like being in the same room it's, it's like so two important. things rubbing against each other and the rough edges are being you know they're they're being smoothened out it's so important i think that's so important because um you're not we're training to be human beings not lecturers right right so sohbah to shiu is to see how like uh see how they live Right, not even speaking about myself, I'm like just a disciple myself. But when I want to be with a sheikh, I want to be with that sheikh, not just in the lecture setting. And the shiuk, the murabbis, I'll tell you who does that the scholar who is just 
uh, uh, teaching you rulings, they stick away. F- they, they, you only see them in the classroom setting. The murabbis, they let you in. Right. The shiuch that are murabbis, they let you see them how they eat, how they interact. You hear all these stories about their life because we're not here coming to learn Islam to become lecturers right. or right. authors. We're here to be human beings. So we need to see how it would be a human being. What Sayyid Aisha says hadiths like that are completely about the int- intimate life with the Prophet, peace be upon him. How you ate with the Prophet, how you did, because the, the Prophet's life is completely an open book because this religion is about how to be a human being, not anything else. Right. So you need to see all that. That's the importance of the suhbah. Let us now uh, look at, let's take a first question I'll take and the second one I'm going to pass it to Sheikh Faraz. Second one's from Shazia 2085, but I'm going to go to a question from Reed. She says, how do you attain contentment? And I'm going to answer that, that very simply. Contentment is one of the gifts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the gifts of Allah that he gives are uh, of the same genre as your deeds. So, if you want a lot of money, give out a lot of money. Right? If you want contentment, be content. And part of being content is not just with what happens to you, but it's also with the divine law. If you're not practicing the divine law, the sharia, then clearly you're not content with it. Why would Allah give you contentment in your heart when you're not content with his own sharia? Right? There's going to be hardships that come upon a Muslim when he or she avoids certain things or has to do certain things. Be content with those results. I've seen many shabab. One person in a family can do it. One person doesn't. And you see the difference in their life later on. So that's part of contentment. It's very simple. Dealing with Allah is very simple. You just follow His rules and specifically do what you want. Like, what do you want? I want to be happy. All right, go make other people happy. Be happy with the Sharia by practicing it. That's how you do it. All right, so that's the first question. Now let's go to Shazia 2805. She says, Tawakkul is very hard during the trial. After consistent dua, you don't feel heard. How do you maintain hope? Anxiety is so <coughs> tangible during this period. Sheikh Faraz will answer. No, so Tawakkul is, is hard, but that's the whole idea of trust, right? That you're <coughs> holding on to something that you, you think that you can, that you have the agency to attain the good for yourself or to ward off the harm. Mm-hmm. But all of tawakkul is to realize that I can't, right? I can't. So the act of faith, right? And you have to have courage is to let go, is to let go, right? That, that's why we say hasbunallah, like Allah is our sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And part of what that means is I'm not, right? I'm not. And what a great guardian he is. And a wakil is the one who, who takes care of things on your behalf. Right? So you entrust the matter to Allah. And you entrust, which of course, so you take the means. Right? So you just realize there's two, there's two aspects. What can I do? Do it. Mm-hmm. Everything else, you just have to leave it to Allah. And he will not let you down. 
this is practically, it can be difficult. So what do you do? First, consider. Number two, consult. The third is that you have to turn actively to Allah. So a lot of the scholars recommend. This not in this, this specific formulation. It's not a specific sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. But we know from the Quran, the encouragement to, to recite Hasbuna Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Allah is our sufficiency and he's the best of guardians. Or what a great guardian he is. It's actually an exclamation. A lot of the early Muslims and many of the contemporary you know, living scholars encourage that if you're in a difficult situation, recite Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil 450 times. And I've heard this from some of the scholars of the Indian subcontinent. I've heard this from some of the scholars of Sham and also from Habib Qadim al-Saqqaf from Hadramaut from three very different traditions, and they all mention this. It's tajruba. Why? Because trust in Allah, as the questioner mentioned, is not easy. It's not easy to let go. So they, they suggest that, okay, at nighttime, after Isha, for example, if you can do it this way, after praying, sit facing the Qibla and recite Hasbunallah wa Ni'mal Wakil 450 times, calmly. Let the meanings permeate your consciousness. Mean it and then say it. But then let go of the matter. Let mm -hmm. go of the matter. That's, that's, that's trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? There's also her. one very practical yeah. thing that, you know, lie, to, to live is to be tested, right? That you have to distinguish between worry <coughs> and concern. Worry is when there's something that you're uneasy about. Yeah. And there's no benefit in worry. But concern is positive. C concern is when you have unease about something, but you connect it to a plan of action. To a plan I, of action. And I would add to the sister, she's saying, I feel like I'm not being heard. Sometimes it's your stamina is being developed here. Faith requires stamina. Like it can't just be that we, yes, we believe in a dua is going to be answered, but the timing is from Allah Ta'ala. So stamina sometimes needs to grow. It can only grow by being, by being forced to do something over and over. I think parents should teach this to their kids. Um, one practice that I find really that it's, it's a good practice is that you don't have to give them what they want right away. For example, someone knocks at the door and I'm... Now, I'm not I don't have, I shouldn't just answer you every single time. You're going to become spoiled. I did this the other day. Someone's knock at the door. I'll be right. I'll be there. What, not now. One second. And leave them waiting. Right? Because I'm also a human being who just worked all day. And this parenting is work. It's a different f form of work. Right? So I'm teaching you a lot of qualities by doing this. And I'm relaxing at the same time. So... <laughs> They have to wait, and they wait, and they wait. And then if one of them leaves, khalas, no, uh, oh, oh, I wanted this. No, no, you're not, because you didn't have persistence enough. Like, you didn't have enough persistence. You need to persist. You need to wait. You can't be entertained 24-7, and everything is given to you right away. Like, why are some people persistent and others aren't? Because they got denied something, but then there's a question, should I give up or should I do it? You keep choosing to give up. That's, that's how simple it is, right? And persistence is not tr taught except by denial. You have to be denied. 
I think everyone who has kids, Sheikh Faraz, can I ask you how many kids you have? Four. Okay. I guarantee you, you have one kid who's timid, who when he's told no, he goes back and he never brings up the subject again. He's very mutiyah, right? But then you have another, but he doesn't get what he wants in life. Then you have another kid, guarantee you can say no many, a hundred times, they'll come back a hundred and one times. Because they have a desire that's intoxicated their brain. Like yeah. when they when they have a desire, it's the, it's halal, taken over their brain. They cannot stop. They will not stop. Now that person may be annoying as heck, but they will achieve something in life, right? <laughs> I guarantee you, you have one of these kids, right? Because I think that it's like a distribution, <coughs> right? These qualities are usually distributed amongst kids. So sometimes Allah is testing your your stamina here. And that's why our dua isn't answered right away. Now, here's a question for Sheikh Faraz from Zifail, uh, saying, how do I know when to trust myself and when to trust others? Because, Sheikh, you mentioned seeking counsel, right? He's saying, I second-guess myself a lot, but the advice I get from friends, notice he said his he takes his advice from friends, often fail. Okay, so, oh, Sheikh Faraz, does, is that what the Prophet said? Take your advice from friends? In the first place. No, so th there's a couple of things, right? Firstly, you don't trust anyone but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Ultimately, you mm -hmm. don't trust yourself either, right? Which is why you turn to Allah in decision. But the Prophet said, mm. consult the wise. Mm -hmm. Now, the wise doesn't have to be scholars. If, you, if you're choosing which laptop to get, you don't necessarily have to go to Dr. Shadi and say, Dr. Shadi, what laptop do I get? Unless he knows a lot about laptops. You're choosing, um, you know, but who's, who's a wise person? A wise person is someone who knows about things and knows about their outcomes. And in different contexts, it may be a different person. Right? So, but when you consult, you're not bound by people's cons consultations, even the scholars. As we know from hadith of the Prophet the Prophet said, seek an answer from your heart. Even if people give you answer after answer. And the ultimate one of the best explanations I've seen of what it, does it mean to seek an answer from your heart? That your heart is the capacity within you to turn towards the pleasure of Allah. That's the potential of your heart. So people tell you many things. The question to, to ask yourself is, which choice appears to be pleasing to Allah? Whether it's which choice is acceptable to Allah? Because sometimes it's just a matter of just keep out of keep out of the haram, keep out of the sin, keep out of doing the wrong thing. Or can I do what's pleasing to Allah? Or can I dare do what's beloved to Allah mm -hmm. in any given situation? Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that's the question. And if this is what is pleasing to Allah, then you have to trust that take the steps. That take the steps. Let's take some rapid fire questions here. So the summary question for Zifail, you're asking your friends, sometimes your friends aren't the experts. That's why it failed. I was being on you. more diplomatic than that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, but uh, so we we go the straight route. The Canada goes the polite route. <laughs> no, no. Sometimes they they say you know sometimes your best friends are your enemies because they'll be honest with you. That's they'll true. They'll tell it as it is. Very true. Right? Whereas your friends will just be like, you know, they, they'll do all the sweet talk, and that hurts. That that's the they're they're the worst. And let me tell you who else is the worst. When a woman's fighting with her husband, <laughs> then she goes talks to her friends. Like nine times out of ten, they say, oh, divorce this guy. 
right? <laughs> they think that's what being a friend is, right? Because that's the easy route. That's what you want to hear. Uh, and then when, when she fix all her problems with her husband, she doesn't talk to you again, right? Because you gave her the advice to leave. It ha I've seen this too many times. Yeah. Let's take rapid fire. Here is someone says, I have attributed the tribulation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now I feel distant from Allah. Like she doesn't, he doesn't have a love for Allah anymore because of the tribulation. How do you answer this? No, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that, inni qareeb, I'm indeed near. So all you have to realize, Allah is near to you. It is only we who distance ourselves from Allah. So all you have to do is to return. Mm -hmm. and, and the keys to returning, we know them. So Allah is never distant from you. If you find yourself distance, distant, then thank Allah mm -hmm. and take the means of returning. Yep. Uh, is a timid soul really bad? I guess that question is for me. I don't think, no, I think Haya is very good. And I think those timid souls, they will have a good quality, which is namely that you draw the red line or they know that the Allah has a red line on something in the Sharia. They won't come near it. That's one good thing. But it's not always good to be timid in other facets of the deen, right? You, some things, achievement needs persistence, okay? And it needs you to not be shy. What did the Prophet say about the shy? They won't learn, right? Dua, you, so they have to be told. And a, and a parent who knows better should tell them, listen, I didn't give it to you, not because you didn't deserve it. You stopped asking. She kept asking. He kept asking. That's why he got it. You didn't, right? Next time, you keep asking. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed to keep asking. So although it may be annoyance, right? But it's so important to create that quality and to know where is that quality good and where is the quality of being timid good. The quality of being timid is good on the limits of Allah. The, the quality of being timid is bad when it's coming to take the fadl of Allah. No, I want it. I want this fadl. I want this, this thing. Right? That's, that's, you, you should want the fadl of Allah. Okay, let's go. Another question to Sheikh Faraz. says, mm, What steps, says Sunshine, should we give to our fellow friends who want to get closer to Allah but are still not yet satisfied with belief? Okay, that's not really on the subject. So let's look for something that's on the subject. Um, I think that we, we may, we well, may not have any more. One thing really brief about that, one of the most yeah. useful things you can do with so for someone is to connect them to to teachers, mm. to connect them to teachers. When I was in Jordan, I, I used to be get, get annoyed because sometimes taxi drivers would like, just because I'm wearing like religious kind of clothes, they say, Sheikh. Yeah. yeah. And he used to annoy me. So I asked one of the teachers, what do I do? He said, listen, best thing you can do in life is to connect someone to a source of guidance. Yes. So even if you know the answer, ask them, where, where do you live? He says, you know, Amman. Point them to, to a scholar, you know, to a masjid that mm -hmm. they can go to, right? Yeah, and that's that's one of you know one of the best things you can do in that kind of situation. Very good. Uh, connecting people to the suhba of ulama, really, that is the 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 salt and water of life, uh, bread and water of life is the is sitting with these ulama and learning from them. Uh, Max says, "There's a girl I want to marry. I'm going to ask her." I'm going to go pro approach her family, I guess, her wali. Make dua, it goes well soon. If I don't get her someone better, I would say that, but yes, you can do that. Of course, that's the attitude you're going to go, and if you don't get her someone better, but 
I do have something that bothers me about that, that there's already like a backdoor fail mentality to that, right? Am I right about that, Oz? It seems like you've given yourself an out already. Uh, maybe he didn't get to know her yet, but you want her. You want to marry her. You said that. I want to marry her. Then you, you keep your azima stronger a little bit. I will I marry this I can woman. share like a, my, my personal story. Like yes, go ahead. The greatest dua you can make yes. is yaqeen. Right? Subhanallah. That was Subhanallah. You know, one of the greatest lessons I learned in life. I was engaged to someone for like <laughs> half a year. I was living on like cloud 11, not just cloud 9. Yeah. Like I was the, the guy, I'd be walking on campus. All the, the, you know, the MSA students would look, you know, would look at me and start laughing because I wasn't there. I was somewhere in the U.S. And I was about to travel to that state with Sheikh Abdullah Idris, you know, um, to take the next steps in the marriage. Then the person backed out. And there is an Egyptian graduate student. He saw me sad after six months of just, you know, like the silly grin. So he said, Brother Faraz, why are you not smiling? I said, you know, that, that in engagement, it didn't work out. And he had a big smile on his face. And he said, Khair. And he said, you know Surah Talaq? It says, Whoever mm. has taqwa of Allah, Allah will grant them a way out. Whoever trusts in Allah, Allah will be their sufficiency. But he said it with so much conviction. I was like, khalas. I'm, you know? I stepped out within two hours. I had three different people unrelated all say, Braz, are you blind? Haven't you considered Shireen for marriage? The first person told me I was kind of offended. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> but I didn't say it. It was a Palestinian sister. I'm like, why? And I go to the library. This Yemeni friend of mine, we're at the computer terminal. Afraz, man, what's up with this thing in the States? See, I didn't even tell him yet that it didn't work out. Haven't you considered so-and-so? Said the exactly the same thing. Ajib. I left him. I went to the dungeon of the library to use the terminals there. I was feeling kind of down. I get an email from the U.S. From someone in MSA Nashville. Are you blind? I already knew what it was going to say. Ajib. And afterwards, I get home. My mother's cutting vegetables on, you know, on this flat bed. She looks at me and says, Faraz, you are blind. Subhanallah. I, I already knew what she was going to say. Subhanallah. Right? But the greatest... You know, the greatest dua you can make is the dua of your state. To have complete trust in Allah. Complete trust in Allah. Allah tells us, That's beautiful. So confirming what Sheikh Shadi says, if something's right to do, pursue it with certainty. Yeah. Now, if it doesn't work out, then you can be sure that something else is better. If it's not, but don't live a half-baked life. Yeah. Right? That, oh, maybe it'll work out, maybe... No, no. Pursue things with determination. Yeah. If you resolve, then place your trust in Allah. A lot of times we lead wishy-washy lives. That, oh, maybe this, maybe this. That's not the sunnah. Mm -hmm. The Prophet ﷺ, if he did something, he did it with complete resolve. <coughs> and then if it doesn't work out, then you have the conviction that something else may have been better. Yeah. Then afterwards, if it fails... Then you can pull out the safety nets and the alternatives. But it's not faith. It is not faith that you will, every time you walk, you have to have 10 safety nets first. 
That's not faith, right? Uh, real faith is that you're going to go, and if, when that happens, you shouldn't even have that in your mind, right? Because you cannot be saying, well, if I fall off, you're going to fall off, right? Because you keep thinking about it. So uh, it's such an important concept that we have this uh, yaqeen, the Prophet saying, and Habib Omar says, this yaqeen, some of the, of the wise said that it is ismul al-adam. Have you heard this? No. Al-himma wal-yaqeen, ismul al-adam. Whenever you have it, like this is going to happen. There's no alternative. You have to burn the ships. No alternative. That's al-ism al-adam. And if you're not certain yet, then don't even take any action. Like calculate the matter. Think about it. Now go, tawakkul, rely on Allah. Also, I'm going to go, no A lot of times net. people sort of try to do things on their own. Yeah. Right? We have a conference coming up in Toronto. Uh, walking with, with a famous uh, American uh, comedian, but he's, he's, got, he's a strongly religious guy. Yeah. And this brother from New Zealand came up and said, Sheikh Frost, please help me. I've been engaged four years and it's not, it's not working out. I said, ask Azhar. But I'm asking you. But I had a context why I told him to ask Azhar Usman. Because yeah. Azhar and I were engaged at the same time. Mm. So, but, and he, he's, got a, he, he's an experienced guy. He said, listen, he gave him the craziest thing to do. I just told my friend, Azhar's a smart guy. Just listen. He told him, listen, get on your knees. Hold on to your dad's pants. I'm not suggesting this for everybody. And just beg him. But tug on his pants. <laughs> and it was the easiest advice. The tug on his pants. Beg him. Start crying like a baby. Subhanallah. But but said, but trust in Allah that he that you're you know, appeal to his love and trust in Allah that he'll say yes. He said the, as soon as he got back to New Zealand, he did this and he was engaged. Wow. <laughs> and he's now married and actually he's in he's in Tareem. Subhanallah. <laughs> he just messaged me recently. And you know, that's why don't underestimate the benefit of consultation, that it's strength. Even in life, you know, a lot of times people overwhelm themselves that often we have big decisions to make, but something that's a big decision for you to make is not a big decision for people who've made a hundred such decisions before. And they've mm -hmm. advised hundreds of people about similar issues. So it just helps you make a better decision. That's one of the, you know, for me personally, like I know there's certain types of issues that come up. I know, call Imam Zaid. Mm. His other issues, consult so-and-so. Yeah. His other things in family, I know. There's a couple of my uncles. Reach out to so-and-so because family matters. He'll tell me which way. That's it. Yeah. So, no, it, it simplifies your decision. Mm -hmm. And then... If you've consulted the right people, then have the courage to just follow their advice. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Uh, let's take a question here. One more question, our last question, uh, before we have a to make a quick dua for some families from Montenegro. Uh, this dua comes from Maham saying, why do evil thoughts consume us regularly, even when we keep up with our adhkar? What are we doing wrong? So, I mean, th this is one of the great, 
it's it's a, a very beneficial to learn about thoughts and how to respond to them. That's one of the key tools in one in our spiritual toolkit. Mm -hmm. right? to, to to know and there's actually some books in on this actually translated into English as well about معرفه الخواطر know identify dif different types of thoughts and why they occur. And ultimately, just like anything else in life, it's a test. You're not responsible for your thoughts. You're just responsible how you respond to it. Yeah. That's it. Right? So bad thoughts come. What you're responsible for is to respond to it. But part of the response is that maybe there are things that you're doing that are stirring those bad thoughts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it might be something that you're neglecting. That, you know, you're doing everything else fine, but now you started watching all kinds of weird things on some streaming service. Mm -hmm. And that's the pollutant in your life. Mm. Well, the bad the thought's a blessing because, okay, let me get rid of that. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, you step back and think. Because typically, you, the, the thoughts could have a, they, they could be a reason that is stirring them. And some of it is pure test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But more often than not, there is something that is leading to them. You have to step back and reflect. And sometimes you've got to cons consult. Said, okay, so, I'm having this. Yeah. And talk it through with somebody. Who knows? Bad thoughts are like a, uh, strangers in the path. If you don't like them, find another path. Like maybe there's paths entering into your brain. Like you said, what you're watching, maybe what you're hearing. And sometimes you can't avoid certain people. Yeah. But also, Sheikh Adib Kallah said something beautiful. He said, yeah. the bad thoughts are like a barking dog. Mm. He said, if, you, if there's a barking dog on the street, what do you do? You go the opposite way. Just keep going. Yeah. He said, only a fool would walk up to the dog and yeah. say, Mr. Dog, why are you barking at me? Yeah. Okay? Yep. Because if the dog's barking, now he may jump on you. Yeah. Okay? He may bite you. Where can someone study thoughts? Like with the topic you mentioned. No, so... Most books on, so for example, Imam al-Haddad talks about, you know, this idea of thoughts in the book of assistance and other books, and th these are available. There's also a book, I don't know the title offhand, the Arabic title is Al-Arf Al-Atir. It's translated into English um, as the, the fragrant breeze, it's, it's very, um, but if you, if, the, the Arabic title, if you write it in, in Last time I found it online, Al-Arf, A-R-F, Atir, A-T-I-R. And, it, and it's available through, you know, Mecca books, Firdos books, etc. It deals with this at length. Mm. It's also covered in most books of spirituality, Minhaj al-Abideen of Imam al-Ghazali, which is translated into English. And there are beautiful lessons on this work, Minhaj al-Abideen by Habib Hussein al-Saqaf, translated into English as well. You can find those lessons and he covers this. We have a class here at Seekers Canada and we broadcast it online. It's on our YouTube channel on a, a work called At-Tariqatul Muhammadiyah, the path of the Prophet Muhammad And we covered over a couple lessons, his discussion, which is based on like Imam Ghazali and others say, on this idea about knowing your, knowing your mm. thoughts and how you respond to them. Um, Excellent. And it's, it's one of the things that you, you just, you know, if you make a commitment to learn practical spirituality right that things that okay how what can i do and what can i understand to cultivate my relationship with allah where i'm at yeah that's practical spirituality a lot of times people like fancy spirituality 
mm. that feels good, but it does no good in improving your relationship with Allah. Yeah. So, so that's like people who like good food, but they just watch foodie videos, but stay hungry. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not satisfying. Yeah. Right? It's not so, working for you because you may be aiming for some level that you're far from. Yeah. Or it just, yeah, there's, it doesn't tell you what to do. Right? And mm -hmm. that's why also one of the best ways of spirituality is to find teachers who can help contextualize that knowledge. Yeah. Right? Um, rather than read it in a book. Right? There's someone yeah. who came to Seekers Canada and they, they read about solitude and they thought what it meant to us that as a believer you should keep quiet and stay alone. And he was very depressed. SubhanAllah. And no. Right? If you contextualize, what is solitude? Yeah. Solitude is that you spend time, you step away to spend time to cultivate your relationship with Allah. But solitude also comes with that stay away from bad company. Mm. But it doesn't mean you abandon good company. Yeah. Right? SubhanAllah. So without context, you can be you can be far away and think you're doing the right thing. That's true. Uh, alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah. Very uh we have to we're gonna close with a special dua before uh uh wrapping up there with we have a Request, a dua request from Montenegro, which is a country that most people don't know where it is. It is between Albania, it's by Macedonia, and it's a mainly, if not 100% Muslim country. And there is a family. Their name is Selvira uh, Kalenovic, Mirsad Kalenovic, Leila, Elma, and Adi. And together uh, they have requested a prayer for them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam wa ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant them ease in this life and the next. And if they are suffering any hardships, we ask Allah ta'ala to show them the wisdom in this hardship and alleviate it from them. We ask Allah if any of them are sick, He gives them shifa. If any of them are wealthy, that Allah, that, that Allah blesses their wealth. If they need wealth, that Allah opens the doors of blessed risk. And we ask Allah Ta'ala for any of them who are seeking to get married, that Allah uh, gives them a spouse that's a blessing in this life and the next. We ask Allah to surround them with beneficial friends and fill their hearts and minds with beneficial knowledge and keep them away from friends that lead them astray and unify them with those who will benefit them in, in dunya and akhirah. We ask Allah to put love in their home and sakina in their household and generosity in, the hearts, in their hearts. Uh, we ask Allah to keep sicknesses away from them, to keep envy away from their households. And we ask this likewise for everybody who is participating in this live stream, likewise for the family of our guest, Sheikh Faraz, whom uh, has taken out his time to be with us here today. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to bless him and uh, bless his work and strengthen him. And I encourage everyone to go and learn as much as you can from Seekers, God, Seekers Hub so that you can, uh, he can get more hasanats and be encouraged to do more of the work that he's doing. So we ask uh, uh, everyone to say ameen to this dua and likewise for all of ourselves. And lastly, we close and we ask Allah to make none more beloved to us than his most beloved, Sayyid al-Kawnayn, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I'll leave the last words to Sheikh Faraz. I just wanted to say that, mashallah, you know, Safina Society and Dr. Shadi have been doing some excellent work for a long time. And don't just love the project, but benefit from that, right? That's, that's the biggest thing. You know, 
um, you know, benefit from you know from these teachings. I've been following them for you know for for years, and there's so much khair. Now they've got their their their, their you know their their new seminary project. Have the courage if you are someone who wants to learn to, to commit, you know, to learning. But don't just say okay one one of these days I'll do that because one of these days you'll be dead. Is mm -hmm. that start learning, start attending, and benefit. And if you have wealth, support them. Right? If you have a lot, support them generally, you know, with a lot. If you only have a little, support them with that, with that little. But because these these projects are the are the means of light in our communities and the and in the ummah. So may Allah subhanahu wa taala bless bless you, Sheikh Shadi, Ameen. and, and Ameen. bless your team and your students and this beautiful project. I mean, Jazakumullah khairan, and likewise for for uh, for your organization and all the organizations that are spread in the haq throughout North America and Canada and Australia, New Zealand, and uh, and the entire world. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat wa tawasu bil-haq wa tawasu bil-sabr. والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته